Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit DirecTV.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello and welcome to the latest Laz and Powers. I'm Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, joined by Scott Powers as always. Uh, it is Sunday uh, around lunchtime and still there is no hockey. There has been no hockey for <laughs> 67 days, I think it is. And um, I don't know about you, Scott, but I'm bored. Yeah, I don't, every day is, I don't know, I, I feel good, I feel bad, I feel, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. Uh, t- today I'm doing okay. I, I had a decent little. Uh, I'm telling you, this the best idea my wife had throughout this whole thing was she we got uh, we got like a Nordic track. We were looking at, like the Peloton and, Nord- and different things, and I liked the Nordic track because it had uh, had like uh, courses. You know, you could take you could pretend like you're riding through the mountains or whatever roads or different parts of the world. So I've I've become. Um, my, my eating habits need to change for, you, for me to see real results, but <laughs> I, I'm getting up in the morning and I'm, I'm working out and um, yeah, in some ways it's probably saving my life and helping my health in some ways, but uh, I find when I don't ride the bike and I just, I'm kind of a sloth all day and just, I, I don't leave the house, I, yeah, those days are bad, so uh, sleeping let, and let, working out have been the focus. So. Let me give you a glimpse into how pathetic of a human being I am as a quote-unquote man. Um, we have an exercise bike. Had it for years. It worked fine for years ago until we started going to the gym on a regular basis. Uh, I pulled it out the first day of quarantine. I pulled it out because our gym was closed. And one of the pedals was just came off. And it's been 63 days, and I can't figure out how to get that pedal back on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it. The threading isn't working of the screw. It just won't screw on. I've tried 10WD40. I have used a rubber mallet. I have screamed and cursed at it, and I can't get that thing to work. So we have an exercise bike in the basement, and I can't use it. Thankfully, we live right by a bike trail. So I've been uh, going for runs every morning or every other morning. And then the other mornings, I do like uh, that Patrick Kane workout stuff I did with Ian Mack a while back, which is just endless yeah. lunging. And planking and things like that. So I'm trying, but yes, I very much miss my gym. It's I uh, I've gotten into it. Like I, I want to do this all official. So I got the uh, the bike clips and all those things, and I finally put in the uh, the pedals today. And I I was able to get myself in, but getting myself out, I didn't really understand. I didn't really. I, sh- I should have looked up some directions. But I had to call my wife to kind of explain <laughs> how to get my feet out of the pedals. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been good. It's been. Good, uh, good challenge at least for my, um, yeah, for my health. And then you went and sent me a whole bunch of Montreal bagels, which is going to make me gain like thirty pounds because I've already had like ten of them. Well, sure, so some of the kids too. 
I saw so, somebody tweet. Somebody tweeted out that they uh, they delivered, and I uh, I know there's a bit of the uh, a battle with you in New York and Montreal Bagels, and I wasn't really sure how to send you New York Bagels or what sort, so I. I thought this would, uh, yeah. I thought it'd be nice. To look it's at, it's so. it, it's it was nice. It, it's funny though. I, I get like a Facebook ad every now and then for like Essa Bagel, which is one of the good New York bagels. And I clicked on it one time, and it's like it's like a hundred something bucks to get like a dozen bagels delivered. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, what a it scam. wasn't it wasn't that much. So it was. Yeah. No, I hope not. Yeah. No. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about hockey for what little we have, and then we're gonna get into some questions, which will be fun. It'll be a lot of. Uh, uh, kind of career type questions and random things. Um, Pierre Lebrun, who has just been absolutely crushing it this whole pandemic, uh, has another uh, another tweet to this morning that the 2014 playoff model continues to gain some uh, some ground and seems to be the likeliest situation. I mean, can you imagine the Blackhawks being in the playoffs this year? Yeah, I uh, I, I can't imagine that every team is exactly happy about that, but. <laughs> Uh, for the Blackhawks, I'm sure they'll take it, and um, yeah, I mean anything can happen, right? Like it just if you have a bunch of European players who've been skating throughout all of this, or you know, like there's going to be such a you know they'll have some time and they'll have a training camp, but I feel like things are going to be so different, and, and who the best teams are, and it, it maybe this it, it it reverts the you know who the actual team best teams are, but um, teams are getting healthy, and yeah, certainly you know players have been skating throughout this, or you know who's been working harder and. Um, all these different factors that could, you know, play into play into some success. And obviously, hockey's a little luck, and um, you know, you get the right goaltending. And if you know if Crawford's playing like he was toward the end, and um, yeah, who knows, right? Like it just. Uh, I, th- I think also if you know the Blackhawks have obviously committed so much to all these young players and to get those guys playoff experience, and um, and from the organization to say they've made the playoffs and, you know, draw some crowds and even businesses, the, you know, uh, if, uh, I guess that's a, that's the weird thing too, is if there's no fans and I'm not sure what bars will be able to do. Cause it's such a, you know, even doing that story on the pony this week, they had said that, you know, the, the Blackhawks lack of success the last three you know, three years, it really affected them because they had relied so much on Blackhawks playoff crowds that um, I, I guess that's one other element too, is that if there's playoffs and you can't have, mass amount of people at bars it certainly changes that yeah from the blackhawks perspective yeah i'm sure they embrace it other teams probably think it's uh you know blackhawks and a few teams were probably a little bit too far out of the picture to say that they're realistic contenders but um yeah it's it's certainly building up steam yeah i mean, I mean the argument against it is the a 20 team system would make more sense because then you just have one playoff a uh, play in uh you know three game series in each division essentially and then you're down to your normal 16 uh the 2014 does kind of smack of trying to make sure you get the Rangers and the Blackhawks and the Canadians and some of your biggest franchises. But on the other hand, I mean, if you do look at the standings, any team within a wh- with any whiff of a playoff chance was in that 24 team. I mean, the Blackhawks were, what, six points out with 12 games to go? They're probably not making that up, don't get me wrong, but it's not beyond the realm of, of conceivability. So, I mean, the 24 team kind of, you know, nobody really gets to bitch and moan that they got left out of a 24-team format, whereas a 20-team format, there would have been a couple of teams right on that bubble. So I get it, but I also totally get that this is a blatant attempt to get your biggest TV markets into this playoffs uh, format when you need TV eyeballs, because that's the only eyeballs that are going to see it. So I don't know. I'm still skeptical this happens. Um, Pierre, as, as he's been pointing out the whole time, you know, all this is uh, has a million contingencies and what-ifs. Uh, this is still a best case scenario, and I'm not convinced with the with the country opening up so quickly like it is that we're not going to have a big rebound and another spike, and then everything gets canceled again. But here's hoping, because uh, man, I would love to see some hockey right now, and hell, I'd love to cover a playoff game. Do you, do you think we'd actually be covering it? I don't know. I don't think we're going to be very high on the priority list, but at the same time, no. if if any league is going to have put the media as some kind of priority, it's going to be the NHL because they need us for lack of a better word, more than other leagues do. Uh, there's still some, you know, they're, they're still the smallest league in terms of publicity, and they want that publicity. I don't know how they would do it. You know, are we in the press box, socially distanced, and then at the end of the day, at the end of the game, we have like a Zoom call with the players from the press box, and that's how we do a press conference afterwards. I mean, there's so many factors to figure out here, and I'm sure that we're not high on the priority list, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it happens. It was. Did you follow any of the uh, the German stuff over the weekend? Um, I did that little flowchart to see which team I'm supposed to root for, and I think it was BVB or something. Oh, I didn't see that's the all flow I know. Chart. That's all I know. <laughs> I saw uh, one of the teams. Dortmund was one of the teams I saw in Prague for the Champions League game. 
Um, Byron's usually like the elite team, so if you follow Byron, like you're following the usually you're following kind of the uh, the Yankees or whomever. But um, I, I just it, it was interesting, you know, watching. Uh, I caught a little bit of it, and it just it's without a crowd there, and especially soccer. And I, you know, this is uh, Michael Bryan and I were not talking about this. We both were, you know, we had Chicago Fire season ticket holders for a couple of years there, and there was a point where the fire was uh, fighting with the the supporters groups, the fans groups, and they, they boycotted some of the games, the supporters group, and all of a sudden the chanting, all that was gone. And it was, in soccer, it, it really makes a difference. Like, it's such a big part of the atmosphere. And um, when you don't have it, it just, it, yeah, it feels like it lacks. But I, I don't know if it would be the same in the other sports because this music is played throughout, you know, like you, NBA, you're, you're dribbling up court and they're, and they're doing things. And baseball, it's constant organ. And I, and I think those elements need to still be in place for the feel any kind of normalcy because the complete silence, I don't think, works. So even in hockey, I think, uh, you know, having... Uh, you know, in Chicago, the organ or wherever, the, you know, certainly all the music and stuff. I think those are all important factors where it's not just guys feeling they're playing pickup hockey. Um, but but in soccer, I, I think it's the, them missing the fans. And, you know, I, I know, you know, just from the German games yesterday, um, they weren't like really piping in much in, until the team scores. But I, I think in the future they may, I, I would certainly consider piping in, you know, fans, so... supporters, recordings, that type of thing. So what you're telling me is that I'm right. Soccer is in fact boring if you're not, and you have to entertain yourself during it because it's impossible to watch by itself. <laughs> Got it. Well, I knew it. I was right. Oh, it's, it's sort of like a college football game or something with the college <laughs> basketball, the atmosphere. No, right? I agree. Like yeah, just... yeah. No, it's going to be weird. I think I think it's going to be really cool for a couple of games. Like I've always wanted them to do one of those like no announcer, no fan games where everyone's mic'd up. I think that'd be fascinating. And I think the I think that I think this the leagues really need to steer into that and mic everybody up. Like they need to have, you know, like an uncensored version playing on some channel, like and and, and a censored version playing on another. That's how you're gonna get people really interested in this is by making it unique and different. Um but yeah, after a couple of games of that it's going to get kind of weird and not fun anymore and not interesting anymore and kind of I don't know, sad's not the right word, but it's it's going to be noticeable in any sport. You know, the NBA has so much, you know, ambient noise during a game. Like, they're playing the Pacers race cars while they're still playing the game. <laughs> but the NHL, yeah. when when the game's on, there's no music. There's no sound effects. There's no defense. So I don't know how it's going to work, how it's going to sound. I think piped in noise is a terrible idea. I think that's going to just sound cheesy and stupid. If it's going to be no fans, then just have it be no fans. You can play music if you want, but don't 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 put in fake crowd noise. That's just going to be awful. Well, I, I think for soccer it makes sense because usually you have certain chants and stuff. So if, if you had recordings of the of like your supporters group chanting and stuff, like I think like because it, it becomes sort of that background noise, but it's like the, it's constantly going on. In hockey, it's a little bit different because it just it's yeah it's you know like you don't want to have like you know applause like when when they score a goal or a nice play all of a sudden you you hit the applause button um i'm gonna sound like a, like a sitcom in the 90s or like a laugh yeah track. exactly if i'm a player there's no way that i want to a to be mic'd up and and not to have uh, you know like those guys can't control themselves and i mean we, we no. anytime that we get a glimpse of them uncensored you know it's uh uh, it's wakey wakey, and you know, you know, like the, these are the or things that I think are. It's there's going to be homophobic things said. There's going to be yeah. some really bad things said. You're, no, you're right, but that's what I would want to hear as a fan. Like that's that's oh, a way sure, to yeah. drum up interest. You know, everybody loves the NFL when they mic everybody up, and maybe that's how it is. Maybe maybe you play the game, and then like three hours later, you have it kind of cleaned up. You know, you know, duck sound <laughs> over the curses and <laughs> play play a replay of it. Then I don't know, but they have to figure out a way to make fanless sports interesting and that's one way to do it well i mean the commentators will still be there so i mean there's still that element right yeah yeah that's true but um, even that I, I wonder what it's gonna be like to comment you know to be a commentator in a game like that where you know pat foley and eddie olchek and, and and john weideman and troy murray they feed off the crowd too it's gonna be weird you know they might be calling them from their living room like i i remember for you know some like uh from uh Olympic hockey games they didn't they do that where they were ESPN was like was was broadcasting games from Bristol while they were watching yeah. them on TV and and you can tell you can tell when they're not there or they're not into it and all of us are going to have to figure out how to adapt to this hockey is interesting more than other sports too because it's it's um, even on TV though it's like constant play by play where you you need to be calling out names and who has the puck and so I I, I wonder for hockey it'll be almost easier than you're not feeling as much you know 
the the time where in, in baseball, you know, between pitches and uh, you know, like you, it just yeah, well, baseball baseball is actually baseball is that's a, that's an interesting one to bring up because the crowd isn't that into it for most of the time. It's usually just kind of yeah. an ambient kind of like talking noise. And, you know, so if you pipe in like an organ in the background is that's, you know, there's no reason the organist can't be at a game. Right. So For if you're, sure. like, you, you know, you know, if you're at you're watching a game from Wrigley Field and there's no fans and you have that organ and you have a play by play and a color commentator, that might be sufficient. It might it might just work in baseball. Yeah. I was thinking more from like a hockey play by play and color guy where there's like there's so little, especially in the radio. It's it's like you have it's so little tape, downtime. Yeah. yeah. Um but uh, yeah, it'll it's, it'll be interesting, and you know, I um, I haven't been what? Uh, I haven't been watching the South Korean baseball, but I probably should be just to get a better idea of what they're doing too. So, what odds would you give that the uh, that not not you know whether the Blackhawks are in or not? What odds do you think are that this these playoffs get played or even started? Yeah, it, it feels weird because it's like we're in Chicago, so it it I mean the numbers are still going up, and uh, deaths are you know still in the hundreds, and it just it feels. I don't know. It feels like constant here. You know, I, I'm, I'm certainly scared going out and, you know, like if I feel anything, I, I begin to worry, like, did I risk too much today? Did I, you know, I'm wearing a mask and doing everything, but, um, you know, like I, I can look at my zip code and there's hundreds of people's cases and people have died. And, you know, if I go to the corner store or, or whatever, just go pick up groceries. Like I, I, I certainly feel it. So I'm beginning to realize more and more that what I am experiencing and the people in Chicago are experiencing isn't around the country. And I think, you know, Germany doing this and, and certainly, uh, yeah, I guess that, you know, as other teams, as other sports progress, I think, I think or other, you know, even more sports will, will follow suit. So I, I think all it needs is to take one North American sport to, to get going and the rest will follow. And uh, there's certainly a lot of red tape and discussion to be had. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I, I would have probably said it was, it was a lot more unrealistic than it probably is now so um yeah i don't know i i um yeah, i think the fact that they're seeing other countries doing it too and um you know there's certainly people who are losing a lot of money getting involved and, and you certainly see it at the small business level but these these millionaires billionaires uh are in that same boat too and they're feeling it and i think um yeah i i think if uh, if you have enough people behind it it'll happen and i think the fact the government sounds like it's uh, it's behind it too and wants this to happen and feels like it'd be uh, positive for uh, the country, um, and, and certainly unique, unique Canada's, uh, embrace on this too. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, a few weeks ago, maybe I, I, I didn't think so much now. I, um, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they pushed it through. Yeah. I kind of go back and forth. I'm basically with you where I'm like, I look around here and I'm like, there's no way you can do this. But then I see all the progress that other leagues are taking and the talks that are happening. And if baseball can work out its financial issues and get the players on board with testing and health and keeping care of everybody, if they start in early July and it succeeds, then everyone's going to rush back in and it'll be it'll happen. So, you know, some days I think it's like 20 percent chance. Some days I think it's like 70 percent chance. I think I think really we're up, probably average that out to about a 50 50 and uh I don't know. I hope it happens, but I hope it happens safely. I hope it happens wisely. I hope we don't rush back into it. I love sports. Sports are my livelihood. I mean, I'm out of things to write. I would love for sports to come back, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I want it to be done right. And the last thing we want to see is, you know, they play for three days and then 30 guys on one team get uh, test positive and then it's all over again. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, let's and get into some questions. So. Yeah, I was going no, to say transitioning into some of these questions here, and a lot of it has to do with journalism and 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 this has been its own kind of um, yeah challenge for us you know like we've um, you know even during the off season we'll have access and th there's certain events you write around you write around the draft and free agency and and certainly during the season it, it's it's constant it's 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 easy to come up with story ideas you know for the most part I'm usually we got we have a you know a huge bag of them and we can pull out whatever and as this has gone on it, it's certainly gotten harder and. And you and I were just on Slack the other day mentioning just how, you know, after you get through one week, and I felt like we just had a really cool week. You know, we did the yeah. the, the playoff series rankings, and you did the Mike Smith story, and I had the Pony story. and um, uh, We should have spread know, those right out more better, man. Yeah, I know. We should have. <laughs> you know, the, like the Ice Hogs, you know, the fact the HL season ended, it kind of gave us something easy to write about. Um, but, uh, yeah, then it's like, oh, what do we do next week? Because we put all this effort right, into doing right. this, and now it's it's the hurdle of the next week and trying to duplicate that or, or, or to have some kind of consistent Blackhawks coverage. Because uh, part of it is that, like, it's – I don't think the Athletic expects us to write every day, but part of it is 
like you want the athletic to exist from a year from now. You want that you want to help everyone out, and uh, and especially in media and being a, a sports media company that. Um, there's no given that sports will be back, you know, and there's no given that uh, the athletic will exist forever if sports don't come back sooner than later. So I, I think there's that, um, at least on me, there, it feels like it weighs on me a little bit to contribute and have successful stories that people want to read sure. and, and obviously subscribe to. And uh, we need sports to come back sooner than later, but sort of help carry the weight while uh, while there's this, this downtime. Yeah, and, and I, I think, we, like you said, I think we've done a good job of coming up with things to write about, but, you know, can we do this for seven more months like how much 2010 stories can we dig up how many how many random things can we write about it we're, we're, I'm, i've actually it's been kind of fun in a way it's been a night it's been a challenge and we've come up with some really good stuff and and i think our coverage has been great you know i remember back when i worked at the sun times i mean that's not how it was in the off season i disappeared it was great yeah. it was a, it's a great it's a great uh, fringe benefit of working uh that kind of beat where where i wrote every single day for you know seven to nine months, depending how well the Blackhawks did. Every single day, I worked 29, 30 days a month. Some days I would have three or four stories, so I'd write 45 stories a month. And then in the summer, I would get to disappear, come back up around draft time, throw follow through to the free agency, and then disappear again until training camp. That's not how <laughs> yeah. it works for us. We're a sports media-only company, so uh, we have to write all off-season long. And last off-season was my first time with The Athletic going through that. And it was fine. You know, it wasn't that hard to come up with stuff. The Blackhawks won the draft lottery. That created a lot of interest in that. And then there's always free agency. And then you can kind of screw around with silly stories in July and August. And then all of a sudden, hockey's back. This is a whole different animal for me. I mean, you and I have never been through anything like this where we have to keep generating stories, hashtag content, for <laughs> an indefinite amount of time with literally no access. The Blackhawks are still on complete lockdown. Uh, their policy right now is... You know, Stan Bowman's not available. Jeremy Colleton's not available. No players are available. Um, we can, you know, we have, sure, we have players' cell phone numbers, but they all abide by the rules. And, you know, they politely text you back, hey, I can't comment right now, you know, hopefully sometime soon. So with literally no access, this job gets harder and harder as the weeks go on. And we're writing the kind of stories you can write without access. But it would be great if I could just talk to Brent Seabrook and say, hey, man, how's the rehab going? You know, does this does this help you? The fact that, you know, the next season is probably not going to start until December. Does that make it easier for you to come back from all the surgeries you're coming from? Like just little stories like that we can't do. So we have yeah. to keep writing around it and writing around the lack of access. Um, and what separates us in theory from – uh, a fan blog or something like that is the access is that we talk directly to the team so without that it's becoming harder and harder to differentiate ourselves now as you know we had you'd sent me a bunch of the questions that kind of look over um the people had asked us and and i, I was thinking about our coverage and how, how we do things and it, it obviously helps that we've both been on the beat for you know um what seven seven years now and that we have some of these relationships and it's allowed us to do the stories and, and make calls. But I, I, you know, if we were early, you know, if this would have been early days, like it certainly would have been more of a challenge. And, you know, it's been nice. Uh, on the one hand, it's nice having two people on the V because I feel like there's a little bit less, but it's also like there's, there's less to go around too. And, um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been different and, and challenging. And, and like, I, you know, I think we've done a really nice job so far, not to pat ourselves too much in the back, but, um, you know, and, and I put out a, you know, with, um, we certainly like to talk to uh, Danny Wirtz and Rocky Wirtz whenever they're available. And it, it sounds like they're not as, um, those two aren't as further, you know, behind the restrictions the Blackhawks have placed. And, you know, I put out a request to uh, Rocky's handler this past week and just told him that, you know, there's a standing invitation for Rocky to join the podcast whenever he, uh, he he wants and you know we've certainly asked requested Danny and we've been told that they're they're both busy dealing with things throughout the Blackhawks and uh, the other words corporation so I hope at some point hopefully we get one or two of them on the podcast or or in story form or something but it um, you know I, I it sounds like they they'd be open to having uh, conversations and obviously they're, they're they're dealing with the Blackhawk search and and I'm sure their own uh, obstacles of this whole thing with with their other businesses but uh, we put out the request and we'll, we'll see hopefully down the line we can get those people all right that leads us to the first question perfectly this is from Nate he says beat writers provide an obvious benefit for fans is there a benefit for the team and owners to allowing beat writers access to the players and coaches I mean that's something we've been fighting against for years just in general as sports writers uh, the 
in-house media that all these teams create. Now, if you look at the Blackhawks Twitter site uh, or Twitter feed and their website, you know, they've got players doing interviews. They've got, you know, in-house stories. They've got the players doing video games. I mean, they have access to these players and we don't. So they have fresh content, you know, for what it's worth and, and we don't. And, you know, I think we can all see over the last 10, 15 years that the long game for these teams, and I'm not talking just Blackhawks here, I'm talking about every team in professional sports and even colleges, is to create their own content farms to the point where we're not necessary anymore. You know, 30 years ago, we were necessary. We were, it was, a, it was kind of a symbiotic relationship where we were free advertising for these teams and we got the access that we needed to do it and it kind of worked out that way. Now the teams can see that, you know, with, in the age of the internet, they don't need us. We're not providing a benefit to them. We're just a long-standing legacy. At what point does that change? I hope that this isn't the turning point. It certainly could be. I don't know if access will ever be the same that it was, if we'll ever be in a locker room again in the wake of this. Um, but it's it's certainly something that we're concerned about just in general. You talk about any sports writer, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, and the Washington Post had a story recently about that. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a growing concern among all journalists that access is going to be denied or at least curtailed in the wake of all of this. Yeah, the, the question is, what do they need us for? And part of it is to, I, I think the the leagues and teams realize that they need some sort of objective reporting and, and that we do carry uh, some of their message that I, I don't think people are always willing to believe the team or willing to uh, they go on the team website and read features and that you kind of read it with maybe a grain of salt a little bit, just whether uh, realizing that it's, you know, kind of slanted this way and, um, and, and hockey and, and certain sports that I think it, it benefits them in, in certain markets to get, uh, you know, personalities out there and certainly news out there and, and, and maybe drum up some business. Um, I mean, Chicago, that's probably less than, and I think we've seen access change probably, you know, it sounds like it changed a lot since, um, you know, back before they won that first cup. And um, it's, um, yeah, you know, you look at you look at overseas too, and you look at the Premier League coverage, and they don't have access to the players often. Sometimes they get the, uh, uh, I think the occasional walkthroughs through the uh, what's it called the um, the mix like zone, the, yeah, the mix zones, and then uh, the managers, uh, the soccer managers, speak a few times a week, and um, the access is different, and, and you certainly see that in the athletic coverage. Where the stories are certainly different, where they're not usually player driven or. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of it's sourced or, or talking to former players, even about current players. So it's it's different. So um, it's uh, well, let me, yeah, let me, I the in um I won't name which market it in, but but it is. But um, I was talking like a year or two ago to a a, a non let's say it's called a non traditional hockey market, and you know the local beat writers from the paper doesn't even come to morning skates because he doesn't need to and you know whatever they just they'll have practices with no media present whatsoever and he was telling me like when they have bad news when they have like a controversy like something that would reflect poorly on the organization the PR guy himself sends emails to the local radio station saying hey you should be talking about this you should be just because they want to be talked about it any press is good press like that's a real thing in the NHL that doesn't happen in other sports so if any league is going to open the doors again it's going to be hockey I know Gary Bettman said you know right before the league was paused you know, but they started curtailing us our locker room access. He said that no, we're not going to use this to permanently limit your access. You will be back in the locker rooms when this is all over. I hope that's still true. Uh, it makes a big difference the way we do our jobs. I know nobody cares about the way we do our jobs, but it's our podcast, so we'll talk about it. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm skeptical, but I'm hopeful because the NHL. I think I think the media in the NHL is 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 more important to the NHL than maybe it is in the NFL, where you know there's just there's so much, you know, rights holder coverage and in-house coverage and NFL network. I mean, ESPN is not going to stop covering the NFL even if they can't go to games. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm I'm skeptical but hopeful that, that moving forward we'll still be able to do our jobs properly. And, and even for us, and, and it's it's often having or wanting to write or having to write something different than the rest of everyone. You know, like for us, for people who subscribe to The Athletic um, – and this was, you know, I, I think back to when, you know, when when the athletics started and, and I didn't have access. It was it was trying to figure out ways that how is someone going to subscribe to me without access? And then how am I going to write this differently than everyone else? And it, and it forced me to, you know, analyze games and do video and stuff. And um, and one of the keys for us is is 
the one-on-one access or it's it's going you know it's road travel and uh, even now i worry about flight prices and how how this changes how we do the job because usually the road access is the best because there's not as much media around the guys are willing to give you more time um, some of those bigger names aren't maybe you know darting out of the uh, out of the room as quicker and it, it's such a key to you know getting multiple stories done you know you can go on one road trip and uh, report one story and then have you know a couple more down the road and it leads to some of these you know these cooler features we've done too so um, I'm curious too because I, I know that obviously airlines are hurting and um, you know I think at one point they're going to push for people to come back but if you know if the bottom line uh, it's affecting them I, I think it'll affect flight, flight prices too so I'm, I'm slightly concerned and then the access you know whether like you said I mean it's not like if uh, if we're not getting great access in Chicago, if it's social distancing, then it won't be any different on the road. And is there a value um, to any of us traveling if, if it's if it's just getting the same as everyone else too? So I, I think there are a lot of different questions that will be, um, and, and and it even now like it's like six months from now, hopefully, um, six months from now there'll probably be a lot of these different regulations in place. But I'm I'm more hopeful in a year from now when there's a vaccine and that that. Uh, we, we can get back to a little bit of what normal was. Okay, let's move on to, to Tia Skirota, uh, who had a couple of questions about journalism in general. This kind of segues off that. She said, can you give us a breakdown of your writing process? How do you find inspiration behind certain articles? What's the most difficult part of coming up with new pieces every week, especially during quarantine? We kind of got into that. Do you ever get in slumps with journalism? If so, how do you overcome them? As someone who is very interested in the career of sports journalism, what is the most important piece of advice you could give me or anyone else interested in that field? I, I, I like this. For, for advice, I always say the same thing. Just read. Read as many mm-hmm. sports writers as you can. You read, read, read. You write, write, write. And eventually, you know, you start cribbing other people's voices and then you tweak it until it becomes your own voice. The only way you're going to get your own voice is by reading and writing. There's, there's really no shortcut for that. Um, for for the question about do you ever get in slumps with journalism? That's something you and I, you know, sometimes our Slack channel is like a, uh, an emotional support vehicle. <laughs> you and me going back and forth trying to buck each other up when we're going through it. I'll tell you what, I, I did that Mike Smith story last week. And I hadn't written like a normal story in like two months. I was rusty and like all I had written was like rankings and history and silly things. Like I felt like, you know, I was kind of writing BuzzFeed style quiz pieces and things like that. <laughs> I was having fun with it, but I hadn't written like a straight narrative feature in forever. And writing is like the one thing that's always come easy to me. But that story, it took me like three or three and a half hours to write. It never takes me that long to write a story, no matter how long it is. And I was just slogging through it. And sometimes you just got to kind of just put your head down. I, 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 I can't. You know, Tia asked about a writing process. I don't write in pieces. My wife was a, a reporter for years too. She's an editor now, but she would like write like a block here and then uh, then write the lead later and then this chunk over here and then like assemble it like a puzzle piece. I can't do that. I start at the top, I figure out a lead, and I just see what happens with the story and I write it all in one sitting. Uh, I just struggled mightily with that, Mike Smith. Everyone goes through slumps. Everyone struggles and, and sits down and has writer's block sometimes. And uh, I don't know. I don't have a good a good way around it. You just have to power through it. And then sometimes you look back and like, Oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but uh, it can be tough sometimes. I mean, any, and no matter what your job is, you're going to have days where you suck at it. Sometimes you're Nolan Ryan, but you're giving up nine runs in a game. It happens. So I think sometimes you just have to kind of power through and wait till the next story. It, one of the, one of the, when I, when I was in high school, I used to write writers that I liked and I, uh, you know, I ask for advice, advice, and the one thing they always said was read, you know, read and write as much as you can, especially the reading thing. And but one was, I think it was Ira Burko from New York Times that told me that he goes, you know, find a writer you like and then actually put into uh, your own writing his words. So you know, go out and type what he wrote and kind of understanding why it worked and uh, just. Um, yeah, I, I guess it, it just puts it in a different way when you're typing that and you're putting out the words and, and understanding how they work together and his style. And then over time you do, you know, create your own style. But I always thought that was an interesting tip. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very much like you where I, I need to have that lead down. Like I'll, I can sweat on a lead for hours and then the rest of the story will take me an hour, you know, a half hour. Um, it's, it's, and that lead can, you know, I'll go back and change the lead, but as, as soon as I get a lead that I, I sort of like, or something where I, I can feel like I can push through and then I can even step away a story, you know, step away from a story after I do the lead. And, um, and, and, and I think too, I, you know, that's, and sometimes it's, it's going back and reporting story a little bit more too, you know, where that the pony story was, um, I guess just 
going through the process of that. It was I, I wanted enough story stories from people that I felt like I, I didn't have to you know have to write too much or I, I didn't want to use just you know quote graph quote graph sort of thing, but. I wanted to be able to tell enough stories and have enough interesting things. And, you know, I think I reported that over multiple weeks. So just trying to get in touch with owners and, and players who had been there and, and trying to get enough stories. And sometimes it comes back to reporting where it's, um, I think have, being a great writer, it's certainly helpful, but sometimes it's just, you're a great reporter too. And, and if you have enough details that you're able to, um, to write the story more easily, cause it's not, a, you know, you're not really having to think so much as, as maybe sometimes you, you, you put what they said into your own words and, and you're condensing things or, you know, spicing it up a little here and there, but for the most part, you're telling their story. Um, so I, I think sometimes when you're in a rut that you just, you go out and do a little bit more reporting and make a couple more, make a, you know, a couple more phone calls or whatever it is, or look for those details and it just will spice up the story. But yeah, I think we all hit those slumps and, um, it's, uh, you know, doing the athletic and, and being in a subscription model, it's, it's different than other places where, it's so driven on the numbers and, and, and this is certainly more, you know, with the media and journalism today, but, it, uh, you know, how many subscriptions we get for a story, how many people read it? I, I think, you know, you and I, I don't think I've ever communicated with another writer as much as we, we communicate on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, talking about what's working, you know, if there's, uh, there's, there's times a season where people aren't reading as much or subscribing and we're trying to analyze that. So it's, uh, it's definitely different in, in a subscription model. And um, in one way it, it's, you know, I think someone had asked about the athletic state right now compared to other media companies and the athletics doing okay. And part of it's the, the business, not model. Obviously we need people, we need sports to come back and, and people to uh, subscribe and re up. But, um, we're not as reliant on advertising and, and that's key, but there's also a pressure that comes with that. And you feel it sometimes as a writer when you're not, uh, you're not having stories that, that hit. Yeah. I, I, people ask me what I miss the most about the newspaper life and selfishly, I miss the layup. I miss easy days. I miss, you know, when you cover a practice and, oh, they moved so-and-so to Patrick Kane's line. Well, that's 600 words I can easily write in 10 <laughs> seconds, and I'm done for the day. With The Athletic, we don't write every single day, but it feels like every single story has got to be a good one. And it, it motivates me as a writer, and I think, I, think, I think you and I would both agree we're doing the best work of our careers here. It's fun, and it's exciting, and you can write really whatever you want, and you can really take the time on them. But at the same time, there's no gimmies. There's no tap-ins. There's no layups. It's always, it's got to be really good. Like Everything you write feels like it's got to be kind of a big deal. Um, and that, that's, and that's a different mentality. It took me a lot. It took me, it took me a few months. I mean, I came on in September of 2018 and it took me until at least January until I really kind of had a feel for what it was I was supposed to be doing here. What we do is different than what I did at the newspaper. And, um, it's, it's an interesting thing, but you're right. I mean, we do sweat the numbers and we do. So you can, you can, you can almost think your way into a slump by worrying too much about that. But I think you and I, what we always tell each other in those slacks, uh, Slack back and forth is, you know, the overall quality of work will win out in the end. I think that's proving the case is, you know, the reason that you and I are being successful and, 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 and why the Blackhawks are such a big deal and why we get so many subscribers is because it's, the, it's, not, it's not this individual story here and that individual story there. It's the overall body of work. And I think you have to remind yourself of that as a sports writer sometimes is that not everything is going to be great. You're not always going to have a good story. Sometimes your story is just going to be good enough and then you move on to the next one like anything else. Um, <clears throat> Grant M. How, how early did you want to be? A, oh yeah. Oh, was, how how early did you want to be a sports writer? Like, how did you? Uh that Southside Pride's that? question. Yeah. Um, it's really all I've ever wanted to do. I mean, besides like when I was seven and I wanted to be a baseball player, but like I I learned to read basically by reading the sports section of Newsday every morning. I'd run downstairs and I would get the comics and I would get the sports section and I would leave the news section to my parents and I would read Marty Noble on the Mets and I would read all these great writers. Uh, Sean Powell and Johnette Howard, and, uh, and that's how I kind of taught myself to read. Once I could put words together, I was reading sports writing, and I think since I was like eleven or twelve, it's really all I, I got. You know, most kids in high school don't know what they want to do. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and it's why I went to Northwestern because it had the three things I wanted: it had a journalism school, it had major sports, well at the time somewhat major sports, and it had a, a big city that you could kind of access. And that's because I wanted to become a major metro sports writer, so that's why I ended up there. It's it's like, you know, people ask, what will you do if you're not a sports writer? I have no fucking idea because I'm not good at anything else. Like I have no marketable skills. I can't even put the pedal back on the freaking exercise bike. I can't do anything else besides this. How about you? I, uh, 
you know, growing up, my dad, my dad was a Chicago cop, and I, I, I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be a cop. You know, I wanted to be uh, Chips. You know, Ponch and John. And um, at some point, I it must have been high school or somewhere before that, I decided that I didn't have the personality that wasn't for me. And um, coincidentally, my brother became a cop, and he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he actually just got promoted to Chicago detective now. So, uh, congratulations, to my brother Paul. But, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I entered high school, you know, I like sports for my life too. And I wasn't uh, a great athlete. I was okay. Um, but, uh, and I wanted to maybe do broadcasting and I took a, uh, Columbia college offered classes for uh, high school students. And I took a summer class at uh, Columbia college downtown and it was, um, it was Megan. Oh, I can't think of her name, but she worked at the light and she, she taught it and it was interesting. And I, but I also realized I didn't have the personality, outgoing personality for that. So my sophomore year of high school at Loyola, I, uh, I joined the school paper and, and, and from there, you know, I went to some journalism. I went to a journalism camp in Indiana, I think before my senior year of high school and I ended up going to IU for college. And, um, but yeah, yeah, it's going back to being a sophomore in high school. This is the thing I wanted to do. And, um, you know, and especially the younger people listening to us, you know, feel right, right to your favorite sports writers, right to your local newspaper, see if they need help or if you can do anything. And it's certainly a little bit different of a, uh, uh, feel than we came up in, you know, 20 years ago. But, you know, as a senior in high school, I wrote the Pioneer Press and asked if I could cover, uh, cover anything. And they let me cover the, the local high school, Taft High School. And, um, and, you know, I, Someone gave me a beat, you know, as a 17, 18 year old. And, and I, when I came home from college, I freelanced for the Daily Herald and the Tribune for a little bit. And there's not as many of those opportunities. But, um, you know, with the Internet now, too, there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways of writing. And um, I was actually just thinking about, you know, you and I did uh, when I did had that uh, talk about sports writing podcast. And I think they're still up in the SoundCloud that if, if anyone's uh, kind of nerdy and geeky about this, if they want to you know, listen to us more. talk. That was a fun talk, talk yeah. About, to talk more about journalism, I think there's uh, the the podcast was called Talk About Sports Writing, and I I did one with Laz and um, Rick Talender and some other people too, and maybe something I can pick up down the road. But yeah, I, I don't know what else I do either. I you know I, I thought about you know I, I like music and all these things, but they all feel like just fun hobbies and passions where right. I'm not right. sure I could ever really translate to it a real career. Yeah, I don't think watching Love It or List It marathons is a skill, but I'm really good <laughs> at it. Um, Grant M has a very important question. If you could punch one person in the face without any repercussions, who would it be? Um, I'm not legally allowed to say because I don't want the Secret Service bouncing on my door. But how about you? Ah, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> God, I'm I'm really a pacifist. Um, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You could be above it. I'm not above it, but you could be above it. See, the key here is the without any repercussions, because I can throw a punch, but I sure as shit can't take one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't put enough thought in that. Give me, give me, by the end of the podcast, I'll give you an answer. <laughs> All right, well, this one will be right at more of your alley. Handsome Johnny, Johnny asks, well, what are the concerts or festivals you were looking forward to the most that you probably won't get to go to? I had a, uh, The Sounds, which is a Swedish rock band that I love, one of my probably five favorite bands. And every time they've been in town, they come to town once every other year or so, I'm always on the road. And they were going to have a show in Chicago on, I think it was May 5th. And I was so excited to go. And, of course, that got postponed. And, of course, I haven't gotten my money back yet either. Funny how that works. But uh, uh, I'm not a festival guy. Are you a festival guy? No, I used to go to a little bit. I go to Pitchfork, and uh, I've been to Lala one year to see radio. But usually, I don't. The music just isn't loud enough for me or just the atmosphere just isn't, you know, as intimate as uh, definitely a small event. You and I had tickets to go see uh, – Angela Noles by the Trail of the Dead. Uh, at oh, the that's right! I forgot about that. In in April, so if uh, hopefully they reschedule and at some point in the next year we can go to concerts. But yeah, I, I think it's the only concert that I had uh, uh, planned for. So it was yeah, it was you and I were going to go see Trail of the Dead. So um, yeah, and it sucks too. Like it's I, I, this obviously affects a lot of places, but these venues especially, and it just some of these venues probably won't exist when they come back, and it's. The bands themselves. I mean, you know, these yeah. most most small independent bands. They don't they don't make their money off of you know Spotify. They make it off of touring and touring in front of yeah. you know at a bar in front of eighty five people. That's how they make their money. And I'm you know the, the, there's so many people that are really hurting throughout this, and people you don't even think about like that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah because the industry is so much different now too. Where it is, they, you know, they put it up digitally and and that's great, but that's how they get their music out, and that's and now they tour over those albums and. 
Um, I, I know a lot of bands that were going to put out albums here in the in the present. They just they're holding them back because there's there's really no financial gain to put out an album now and then not be able to tour it around it. So, um, I, hopefully, I, I'm my hope is that you know obviously a lot of a lot of this exists, but also this that maybe you know when this is all over, there's a lot of uh, great projects and a lot of creativity that comes out of this where this additional time is. Um, you know how it's affected us in, in writing and certainly you know us thinking that we put on some good creative work that hopefully this artist you know whether it's paintings or music or whatever too that we uh, we look back from five years you know five years from now and saying that that was a you know massive renaissance or you know whatever sort of great period of a lot of art and ideas coming out of it and and certainly you know playwrights and 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 you know screenplays and obviously they can't put anything to work but hopefully after all this is done that we get some amazing uh, amazing tvs tv shows and movies because I'm, I'm certainly sure that a lot of us will be running out of it by the end of uh end of this uh this quarantine here's a, a question that just came this morning from darby i have not seen this one till now but an interesting one uh what were your first impressions of each other we started on the very same day the first day of training camp in 2013 that little four-day training camp um I think I I don't remember. I have a terrible memory for things like this, but I do remember thinking, "Oh, good, I'm not the only one here who has no fucking idea what I'm doing." Like I couldn't, you know, I walked in that locker room for the first time and I could identify maybe six players by face. I had no idea who half these guys were. Like Nicholas Jalmerson could have punched me in the face and I wouldn't have known it was him. So <laughs> I, I remember being really nervous. I'm like, at least I'm not the only one because you look around and Chris Cook and Tracy Myers and Tim Sassone, they've been doing this forever and they know everybody and everybody knows them and I'm just like this awkward doofus who was covering high school sports you know a couple of weeks earlier and uh it was intimidating and i remember that that's the only thing i remember is thinking that i'm not the only one at least uh, can, can i punch Mar margaret thatcher is that possible is that does that work sure go nuts no no repercussions okay. all right she uh i, I think she was <laughs> the cause of some irish people dying so and certainly had of uh a lot of uh yeah um so yeah that's my uh, that's my answer um <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I'm not sure if this was the way that things really went or how I was thinking. But I look back at the time and I, I'm sort of embarrassed the person I was in some ways. And I I had this opportunity to cover an NHL team, and uh, my daughter's watching. You weren't room. thrilled about it. You weren't thrilled about it. No, no, I I I, <laughs> I was hoping the lockout would last forever. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 I knew that I was going to cover hockey when it was over. And it, um, hi, Maeve. Yeah. <laughs> hi, Maeve. Hi, Maeve. Can, can you go by mommy again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, this opportunity to cover hockey in NHL, and I, I sort of, I was more bitter and angry at having to cover hockey and just it's not um i just i didn't grow up with hockey i didn't know much about it and i um i was intimidated because i didn't know what i was doing you know i i probably couldn't have told you exactly what a four check or back check was or there were a lot of terminology and following jesse rogers made things difficult too that he was really beloved and uh, a lot more energetic than i'll ever be and just we covered the game differently and he loved hockey and i know that uh, you know, it's benefited him going to the Cubs, and he and I actually talked about it recently, where it's it's been great for his career. But at the time, too, that he was angry, you know, having to, you know, leave the Blackhawks to go to the Cubs. And uh, for me, I was giving up preps and colleges and basketball and stuff that I really loved. And, um, yeah, so to be here now having this podcast with you and, um, you know, certainly having embraced hockey and thinking hockey, uh, you know, appreciating hockey and all those things are, it's, uh, it's weird to think because this is no way that I would have ever imagined my career going or, um, or, or, or sort of my passions or what I'm, what I feel like I'm good at. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what I thought about you. Like I, like it was, it was probably nice at some level to have a newcomer, but I, I think I was intimidated by everyone and uh, you were more outgoing than me and, um, you certainly knew more about hockey from the start. So I'm sure I was, um, intimidated by you too. And, um, and the fact that you traveled and I wasn't traveling to ESPN, like there were a lot of, uh, a lot of hurdles for me even covering that beat. And, and you know, me not knowing me not knowing much about hockey certainly was the largest one, but there were other ones too. So, um, you know, I, I uh, it, it took me a few years to feel comfortable and it, um, yeah, kind of feel like I knew what I was doing, and then and then even longer probably to feel like I belonged there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty clear early on that you were 
it's the same thing when Chris Hine, uh, a friend of ours who used to write for the Tribune, now works in Minneapolis. Uh, when he came on, he he wasn't a hockey guy either. He was a basketball guy. And I always respected that both of you really put in the work. Like, you didn't just half-ass it and just coast along. Uh, you can cover a sport you don't know without really learning about it because you can just kind of do talk about the human drama of it. But both of you really became students of the game and taught yourselves the, the, the ins and outs of it. And I had a lot of respect. Because being a hockey writer, that, that's, that was my number one goal. I was a hockey guy growing up, so it mattered to me. And you guys came in in an unfamiliar sport. Like, if you dropped me into um, – you know, soccer right now, I'd be lost and it would be hard for me to kind of educate myself on the game and to learn the history of the game and, and, and the strategic, the, the strategic side of the game. And, uh, I always respected that you guys put in that effort. So, uh, and here you are the OG of the greatest hockey team ever assembled, <laughs> the athletic, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, NHL staff. Yeah. I, I'm certainly not the, the greatest, greatest athletic hockey writer, but it's, it's cool to be the first <laughs> one. And, um, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I certainly feel like I, I'm in a different place now and, you know, that we're more equals and, you know, I felt like a long time, um, I was chasing you and, 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 and Cook and Tracy and Tim and, um, I, I um, yeah, I don't know, it, 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 you know, it, having you, you know, when, when Adam Hansman, um, talked about bringing you on the beat, uh, or, or talking about who to bring on the beat and, and you were certainly the first choice just because, um, yeah, I knew one that you'd fit here too. That I I knew that we get along, and I, I just saw that we a way that we can complement each other, and I feel like that's been the case. So it's uh, um, yeah, it's it's you know even to have two people on a hockey beat, it's it's a lot different than even what we've seen in uh, in a lot of markets. So I, I feel like it's uh, it's been an evolution in the fact that we uh, we both stepped in that beat from the first day, and here we are. Um, I guess what what January would have been what seven years, right? Uh, yeah, it's eight seasons. Yeah, eight seasons, crazy. So, um, yeah, it's been a ride. So it's uh, again, like if you told me seven, seven, eight years ago that I'd be covering hockey still and, and enjoying myself, I probably would have told you to <laughs> fuck off, you know, <laughs> and or punch them in the face for that matter. <laughs> um, all right, I think we've gone long here, so uh, we should probably get out of here. Uh, that's the that's the funny. You know, we, I, talk, I could talk hockey all day, but I really like talking sports writing and journalism and the state of the industry. I'm a, I'm a big nerd about that. I want to, you know, I love talking shop about this stuff, and I want to teach someday. And uh, uh, so it's fun. Uh, I enjoy yeah. it. If, if anyone go. has more questions, well, I was going to say, if anyone yeah, has ask. more questions, certainly reach out to us, and we're we're both pretty good about. Uh, and we've got a lot of time in our hands. <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> uh, all right. Till next week, when hopefully there's a little bit of uh, hockey news to talk about. Uh, I'm Mark Lazarus. I'm Scott Powers. See ya. Won't you let me try? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.